Hi, and welcome to Tech Interviews. Uh, so this week, we're going off on a slightly different route uh, and taking a look at, rather than the security and privacy side of data, which we've done over the last few shows, uh, to take more of a look into kind of the future for data and how, how data's um, a major part of businesses as they look to develop and transform uh, in, in this kind of forever changing modern world. Uh, so to help me to do that, um, I'm joined today by uh, Matt Watts. Hi, Matt. Hi, Paul. Is it Paul or Stringy or Tech Stringy? I never know how to refer to you now with all the uh, social stuff that you're doing. Uh, well, you can call me any of those because they're not as rude as the things I normally get called. So um, any of those is is fine. Um, so for uh, so for people who don't know Matt or, or haven't heard him on uh, podcasts or seen him speak before, uh, Matt, do you want to uh, introduce yourself? Uh, tell people a little bit about what you do. Yeah, sure thing. So um, Matt Watts, and I'm the Director of Technology and Strategy for NetApp in EMEA. I've been with NetApp for 12 years now, and um, I guess the, the sort of two aspects of my job that I think would be relevant for, for, for people to be aware of. One is I work very closely with our kind of advanced technology teams and our marketing folks around where do we believe NetApp needs to be as a company over the next three, four, five years, and what technologies do we need to develop to get, to get us there. And the other thing is I spend all of my time pretty much with partners, customers, and speaking at uh, events, doing keynotes. So I'm kind of getting it from both sides, looking at where we think we need to go, but also listening to customers about where they think they are going to be in the future. And in a perfect world, we're trying to marry those two things together. Yeah, and, I, and that's kind of um, the reason I, I wanted to have this chat with you, really, because, um, you know, I've, I've seen you, and we've known each other um, far longer than uh, many of us would care to admit, uh, I'm sure. Um, and I, I did have it with a recent guest. He did mention that he'd uh, known me longer than he'd known his wife, uh, which was which was worrying as well. Um, but then he did move to the states to avoid having to talk to me anymore. So um, that, that probably tells you a lot. But um, you know, and I, I think in that time, though, all of those things you've described there, that that kind of looking and, and trying to have a vision, a strategic vision for where organisations are going with uh, their data, how the data industry is moving forward, and and how uh, organisations are, are finding new and smart ways to use technology to, to help them to, uh, you know, to drive new business opportunities and, and to change the way that they operate. Uh, and I, I was reading a piece that you'd, um, you'd published back in December about how your supermarket knows more about you than your doctor. Um, and I thought it was a really interesting way of looking at how organizations are today utilizing data. Um, so, so maybe, um, maybe it's a starting point for, for those listening. I mean, what, what's your view on, on how the, the data is used today, you know, what, what is the data, you know, maybe from both a, a data storage industry perspective as, as well as what you're seeing with customers, you know, how, what's, your, what's your current take on, on the world of data? So, I mean, it's, I mean, it's fascinating because, um, you know, data defines everything, you know, and, and, you know, if I think back to my very early days with NetApp, you know, we were kind of responsible for the stuff that was getting spat out of the applications. So, you know, we were there to protect that data that was being created. And whilst there was a significant amount of it, it wasn't vast quantities. You know, as we went through virtualization, more became data because the process of virtualizing meant that the operating system, the application, all became data. And now we're starting to look at kind of software defined, which effectively means entire data centers will be defined by data. So, you know, I think the, the, the role and what data is and the way you define it is much, much broader than it's ever, ever been before. So I think that's, that's interesting. The sources of data uh, and the quantities of it are just staggering. I mean, that, that particular um, 
blog post that I wrote, you know, the supermarket and the doctor one, is kind of an interesting one because if you think about the quantity of data that your supermarket does have about you, if you have a loyalty card, it's huge. You know, they, they know when you shop, what you buy when you shop, you know, and you extrapolate that. I know when your house is empty. I know when you're on holiday. So all of these things you can start to extrapolate of kind of very basic forms of, of information. And it's that stuff that companies are looking for because that starts to give them opportunities you know, if they know when you go on holiday each year, they can start targeting you with advertising for speedos or budgie smugglers, as the artists would call them. Yeah, but it's ways that you can start getting information like that. And then on the flip side of it is our uh, willingness to share this kind of information. The reason that supermarket and doctor one I thought was, was interesting and uh, perspective was because we'll tell our supermarkets anything because we get a reward for it. You know, if you have a, a Nectar card or whatever, you, know, you get a free burger every six weeks. And because of that, you're prepared to tell them anything. Whereas with your doctor, you know, we're more concerned about what would we share in case it affects our health insurance or in case it affects something. So I think there's vast quantities of data, great opportunities to extract value from it. Um, but then there's also that kind of that willingness for us to, to, to share it and, and what we're prepared to share. Um, and, and how do we find all of those balances? But the reality is that every company is looking at this. You know, how do we get access to more information in order to make better decisions, in order to find new opportunities, to find new markets, to find new business models? So, um, it, yeah, fascinating topic. Yeah, it is. It yeah, most certainly is. And I, and I think both from um, some of the stuff that we've done recently around security and privacy, I think that's a, that's a fascinating challenge. But this idea of, of how we make um, make the most of the things that we do know, um, I think is, is absolutely, it, you know, is, is really, really interesting. And, and I think one of the things that I, I often talk to when, when I'm sat with different businesses is, you know, this strong belief that actually the companies who know how to get the very best value out of the things they know, their data, are going to be the companies that are going to succeed longer term. You know, if, if you're not mining useful information from your data, you can be pretty sure that somewhere in your competitive field, there's going to be somebody who is, and they're going to be the guys that are, are successful long term. Um, you know, and I think we see, we, we see a lot of that, and I think customers are, uh, and businesses are starting to become increasingly aware of, of how they utilize that. Um, but I thought you also, you kind of hinted there at a couple of things that, that we see as potential challenges as well. You know, the idea that there's the volume of data that we're creating and, and how we manage that. I mean, is there, is there, is there problems that you're seeing right now in the, in the way that we manage and handle data that are, that's maybe restricting businesses of capability to, to make the most out of what they've got? Yeah, so I think we've, um, you know, at a very high level, you can always say that we've, we've sort of been on a bit of a journey and, and the journey never finishes. But we sort of come from where we had very structured, relational type systems, you know, that were at the core of a lot of businesses, very transactional type systems. And then over the last kind of probably five or six years, a lot of that information has been moving into less structured systems, kind of NoSQL databases, you know, Hortonworks, Cloudera, those kind of systems, which is giving us uh, a better ability to extract value from it. The next step on that journey for me is kind of artificial intelligence and machine learning. So we've gone from very rigid structured systems to less structured systems where we can get better information, uh, ask more questions, to something where, because of the quantities, we're going to need to start using artificial intelligence and machine learning in order to be able to narrow down before humans get involved 
to, to be able to target what that information is at these kind of scales. So I think that's, that, that's kind of how I see the sort of the three stages. Um, and that's very much something that, 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 that we're looking at um, for our office support. It used to go into a structured system, very restricted as to what it could do. We've moved it into a Hadoop system, which has given us a lot more possibilities and capabilities. And of course, the next step for us is to look at how can we use more artificial intelligence and machine learning in order to be able to get even better information out of what we do with auto support. So I think that for me is, is, is interesting. In terms of physical technology, I never worry too much about the underlying kind of physical technologies, you know, because the pace of change is staggering. I mean, we're 15.3 terabyte SSDs right now. We've got 32, they'll come along this year, 64s next year. And, you know, we are in the process of designing our systems to be able to cope with 256 terabyte SSDs. So I don't concern myself too much with will we be able to have technology that can deal with the capacities. What I think is more interesting is will we have the tools in place in order to be able to extract the value. And I think that's where this kind of AI and machine learning I think, gets very interesting for the future. Yeah, I mean, that's something I couldn't agree more with. I think the idea that actually it's about, and I think we've probably had this conversation before, that I think in many instances today, where maybe five or six years ago, we would absolutely have a conversation about I.O. performance and system speed and how many flashing lights am I getting for my money. I think today, increasingly, people aren't that bothered. You know, what they're, what they're looking at is, I've got this requirement with my data. I've got these applications that I need to serve up to my customers, to my internal teams. Just make that stuff work. Just make that simple for me because this is all about um, kind of extracting value from stuff. And we were talking a little bit before before we started recording about something we'd seen uh, on the BBC News this morning about how they're using artificial intelligence and machine learning to start to teach computers how to lip read. And that's all about, again, nobody there was having a conversation about how the infrastructure is built, what the disk subsystem looks like, even what the software element of that is. The whole conversation was about the outcome. You know, I, I want to be able to get this kind of outcome. Um, you touched on a couple of things there, I think, which are really interesting. We talked about IBM Watson earlier as well, and you know, looking at things like AI and machine learning. I mean, is that is that the thing that you're seeing in your conversations, both internally at NetApp and, and the conversations you have with a, that kind of wide range of customers? Are they the areas now that businesses are truly, you know, even in the short to midterm, are those the kind of technologies now that, that people are looking at and saying, the only way I'm going to get competitive advantage and, and greater success is to take advantage of this kind of stuff and, and extract value from data. Yeah, I mean, it, it, absolutely. And, and it's, it's, I'm sorry, I was sort of thinking in lots of different directions here, so, but I'll, I'll, let, me, let me give you some, some, some kind of structured thoughts around it. Um, absolutely, the, if, if you're having a meeting with somebody, if I go into a meeting with somebody and less than, and more than maybe five minutes of that meeting is around flash, then that's a really bad meeting. That's, that's um, because it's, as you say, it, the technology was interesting um, and it, it plays a part in things that should not be what the discussion is about. The discussion should be around data, around what are you going to do with it, how can you get access from it. The physical kind of technologies that underpin it should be a very, very small part of any meeting nowadays. Um, so I think that's kind of one thing. And yeah, when, when I go in and talk to people, it's increasingly the discussions are becoming more and more and more about that kind of, let's call it digital. I know it's maybe that's going to be the, the cloud for the next few years. It's going to be the term that we overuse and overuse, but that is a simple reality is all companies are looking at how do we become more digital as a business. Um, and becoming more digital as a business requires you to gather, 
collect, retain, um, and be able to extract value from vast quantities of information. You know, a digital business is a business that's defined and uh, around data, if you like. So um, it is, and it's across all industries. You know, um, in finance, we're we're seeing a real kind of move towards using analytics. You know, if you take out a loan nowadays, you know, four years ago that would have been a process of three or four days to get that kind of the loan approval in place, get it underwritten, to get the money accepted. Now that takes about 30 seconds because there's no human involved in the process. Decisions about who you'll lend to are made from information that's gathered about you from lots of different sources and is then analyzed and the decision can be spat out very, very quickly. So you, you know, that's the rise of digital affecting that industry. And it'll happen across all industries. You know, As we start to see healthcare, um, genome sequencing is going to become something that will just be routine. You know, in 1995, it cost $100,000 to sequence the human genome. Right now, it costs a few hundred dollars to sequence the human genome. And once you've got a genome sequence, you can start putting proactive plans in place of how do you treat a patient, not just when they arrive at hospital, but for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years of their life. So, and quantities, the genome sequence is 200 gigabytes. A hospital typically deals with 200, 250,000 people. So that's a 50 petabyte problem. And it's not just a question of how do we store that and how do we manage that, whilst that is a challenge in its own right, it's how do we get value from that? How do we compare sequences? How do we do targeted therapy based on you know, uh, combination treatments against genomes? So you know, fascinating and affecting all industries, whether it's you know, financial or whether it's providing better healthcare in order to keep people alive. I think that leads on quite nicely actually to the kind of question that was buzzing around in my head as, as you were kind of describing that that shift and how some of that stuff's changing. So how how do you see um, you know from a, from both the benefits and challenges point of view? You know how, what do you see uh, for organisations some of the benefits around be getting better value from their data for for want of a better phrase? And then what are you can touch on the amount of data that you need? You know, what are some of the challenges that maybe you're also seeing um, that will, uh, is making maybe some of that that kind of move to increase digitization. You know, what, what are some of the challenges you see that may be making that difficult for organizations right now? So I think there are, from a challenge perspective, I think there's three things. I think one is um, our own paranoia as to what we are and are not prepared to share. Um, and and that that's going to be increasingly difficult. And I think a generational shift will happen. I think our children are less concerned about the amount of information they share than we are. So I think as the next generation comes through, their willingness and their acceptance of sharing information, I think, will increase. Um, but unless we are prepared to share information, then, you know, going back to the, the genome sequencing, you know, it's got to be better for you to share your genome if that could mean that you'll get better healthcare. But will we? But we're, we're concerned about doing it. So what information we're prepared to share is a challenge. Uh, I think the other part of the challenge is also the attack vectors. As more companies become digital, um, the threats against them become more digital as well. You know, um, some businesses, you know, Ubers, the Airbnbs, that, that is all they are, is companies with information and an application. So you're starting to see very sophisticated ransomware attacks um, and those kind of attacks which are going to increase and they're going to become more and more and more sophisticated and we're going to have to work out how we deal with that. So that's also going to be a challenge. Um, and I think then the, the, the kind of final challenge, if you like, you take those kind of three things, is how do we find the people who will understand what to go and look for? How do we start to 
find kind of the data scientists, if you like, that understand what data is um, and what to go and look for inside that data in order to be able to get value from it. There's no point in having the tools if you don't have the people who understand what the questions are that need to be asked. So I think those are the, the kind of challenges that we're going to see going forward. I think there are huge opportunities. Um, you know, there are companies that are simply building themselves as digital businesses. You know, WhatsApp is a wonderful example of a company that has no product. It simply created a, an application. Um, you know, just a few people created an application and became a multi-billion dollar business. So I think it will provide huge opportunities um, for those kind of things and for existing businesses to become more advanced, um, to become better at a lot of the things that they do and to diversify. Um, but it's, it's going to be, there are, there are a lot of challenges in, in terms of being able to get there. A lot of opportunities, but a lot of challenges. Yeah, and I think that challenges stuff's um, quite interesting. And, and the, the, the couple, of the, the you know, our, our own paranoia about the data we share kind of triggered another thought for me as well. And, and, and when we was, when you were speaking earlier around uh, kind of the amount of data you get, and of course, one of those big issues is the quality of that data. So we can extrapolate as much information as we like out of what we know. But if actually the quality of that data is not really good to start with, then we're just going to be extrapolating, you know, extrapolate lots of things from bad information. You're just going to get bad ideas, I guess. Um, so, uh, but I think that other thing as well about um, having people who understand the question to ask is, is really important because I think there's a lot more of this kind of stuff becomes commoditized. We talked about Watson, you know, you look at some of the things that Microsoft are doing, even in things like Power BI, where you'll be able to surface really clever analytics in tools like Excel. Well, that's all great as long as I know that the questions I'm asking are useful questions. Um, so I think they're, they're, they're you know, really, really interesting areas. Um, I mean, one other thing that, 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 that is, I think, a question that comes up in my mind quite often is, is as we talk about this kind of, um, you know, move to digital business, this kind of transformation of, of kind of traditional ways of doing things. Uh, one of the things that always pops up in my mind is obviously, you know, you, know, you, you work for NetApp. Um, you know, if we put air quotes around it, because I know it doesn't make particularly good podcasting, uh, flicking my fingers in the air, but if we put air quotes around it, a traditional storage vendor. I mean, how do you see the world changing for the likes of NetApp where, you know, you, the, the business has been built over 20 years on, uh, 25 years really, on selling physical storage appliances to people to put things on? You know, in this world where people are becoming less bothered about the physical bits and it's all about extracting value and, and learning things from the data they have. How does, how does that present challenges and, and opportunities to NetApp? So it's challenges and opportunities. You're absolutely right. You know, I think if we, if we kind of look, what are the opportunities? Well, the reality is, you know, we're moving towards a hybrid world, you know, where companies are augmenting kind of their, their on-premises IT with services that they're having delivered to them from Microsoft or from AWS or from, you know, from, from any number of these kind of infrastructure of a service, platform as a service, software as a service vendors. So at some point, you have to make sure that the data can flow across that. So that, that in itself, as you start to see these hybrid infrastructures, where data needs to be able to flow across them, start to present opportunities. And I think very much our strategy, the data fabric strategy, as a, a platform to support all of those endpoints and then allow data to seamlessly flow across them, I think gives us a lot of new opportunities. In terms of the challenges, you're absolutely right. All of those, every, for every workload that moves to the cloud, potentially that's an infrastructure that we didn't sell. 
And, you know, and Office 365 is a great example. We've done very well providing people infrastructures to support their email environments. And a lot of those email environments are now moving to the cloud. Um, and that's a, you've technically, that's a lost sale. But what we have to do is look to see, well, are there other things that we can sell instead? You know, a good example is cloud control for Office 365. People are starting to recognize that the level of protection they have um, in terms of backup recovery, recovery points, recovery time objectives is not the same as what they had when they was on-premise. On-premises, good make sure I include the S. I can see the Twitter hate from here uh, <laughs> if we did that. Yeah, and so, so whilst we're not providing an on-premises system to support that email environment, we now have a technology cloud control for Office 365 to allow us to provide people with a capability to be able to back that up, to bring the data back on site, which isn't just for protection. You know, I spoke to somebody the other day and they said, doing analytics inside Microsoft is really, really expensive. If we have to do a legal search across the email systems, that's expensive. But if we can be routing the backup data into our own infrastructure, then potentially we can do the legal search on our own platforms. So you can start to say, technically, we didn't provide them with a system, but we provided them with something else. So as a company, we have to diversify. We have to start looking and accepting the fact that our revenue will come from many, many different products rather than all coming from you know, the traditional on-premises storage type products. Um, and that's going to be a big challenge when you start to look at other companies in the market, uh, especially some of the startups who effectively sell box, that that market is in decline. So if, that, if your only offering is that you sell a storage box, then you know, that, that's going to be increasingly difficult and increasingly challenged as we kind of look over the next two, three, four years. And, and are you seeing as uh, you know as NetApp as well? And obviously, you know, you can only obviously share what, what you're allowed to share with uh, with us all. But um, you know, it's the it's the areas that NetApp are focusing on around some of these kind of um, you know data value propositions. You know, so maybe some things around analytics or you know that that kind of you know data mining type stuff. Is is there areas that NetApp are looking at there and uh, you know and, and developing their own business strategy around that? Yeah, so, so I mean, what I can say is, you know, the, the data fabric as a, as a kind of a strategy for us, you know, it, it's quite, it's very broad in its nature. So we kind of talk about endpoints, connections, and services, um, where endpoints are effectively places where data could reside. So we're trying to make sure that we can activate as many of those endpoints as possible because it gives people choice. So being able to install our software into AWS, into Azure, um, physical on-premises devices, you know, that's kind of endpoints. Connections is how do we start making that, the, uh, give the ability for data to flow across these. So uh, our replication tools would be one. Um, S3 connectivity, that's another type of connection. And then services over the top of that, you know, some of that is that we expose open, a very, very rich and open set of APIs, which companies can tap into. So people can start building their offerings on top of the data fabric as a platform, whether that's Veronis or Veritas or, you know, one of the companies that does the kind of search discovery. Um, and we're also increasingly starting to develop our own services and applications that, that are kind of at that layer. You know, cloud control is, is one simple example. Um, as you know, in Snap Center, we now have the ability to catalog data so we can trigger the backups through into Altavolg out to the cloud, and we also catalog that. So that's a, a glimpse into how we're starting to kind of expand our value beyond just 
storing, protecting, managing data, and then ensuring that data is where it needs to be, we are very much looking at you know how much further could we go from that with the data fabric as a platform into you know cataloging, indexing, and and then and other capabilities around it. So the data fabric gives us that platform to be able to look at these things. Yes. I think that I mean I think our fabric strategy actually is, is fascinating, and you know, and I, I've looked into that uh, you know myself quite a lot, and I, and I think the as a strategy from a, a data management company, you know, maybe if we look at NetApp as a data management company rather than a, than a storage company, you know, I think is, is very, very smart. And that piece that you just touched on there, that idea that actually we can present a rich set of APIs and whether those APIs are lit up by NetApp's own tools or by tools that you develop either yourself or via third parties in a, a Veronis or a, a Veritas, you know, the, the, the fact that that fabric allows us to have that data stored pretty much anywhere. Maybe it's on a physical appliance on premises. Maybe it's on a virtual appliance in a data center. Maybe it's in a big public cloud provider. But the fact that I can present the same set of APIs allowing me to mine the data in the same way and, in, and very importantly, um, secure and protect the data with all of the same tools and techniques I use regardless of, uh, regardless of where I put that. I think it's really interesting, you know. I mean, and are you hearing generally good feedback from elsewhere around that kind of capability? We are, and I think, you know, it's taken us a while to get comfortable with telling the story, comfortable with explaining it and comfortable with telling it. Um, and I think over the, I think for me, it's been probably the last 12 months where we've become much clearer in how we talk about what the data fabric is and how we articulate the value of what it can offer. Um, and as, as I look back over the last 12 months, the better we've got at telling the story, the more it resonates with people, because the, it is fixing and solving a lot of the problems that people are facing. Um, so whether it was that we were maybe a bit early with the story and it didn't resonate to begin with, or we weren't good enough at telling it, something happened over the last 12 months um, to get us to a point where the more we talk about what the data fabric is and what it enables, the more interesting, the more interest it creates. And you know, the reality as well, it's a discussion, it's a higher level discussion. When I'm talking about the data fabric as a strategy, as a platform to underpin these capabilities, I'm having a much more strategic discussion. It's a much more strategic discussion than my flash is bigger than your flash, and you know, because most people don't care. Um, you know, it's we, we've got to keep doing the stuff that we do well. You know, we've got to keep leading the you know leading the charge with the, the platforms and those technologies but we've got to make sure that we continue to drive a higher level and more strategic discussion and I think that's really what data fabric gives us yeah and I, I couldn't agree more I think the idea that uh, you know we can we, we can build a strategic data platform because actually as much as and as exciting as the kind of things that we can do with the amount of data that we now have and and the kind of commoditization of things like AI and, and machine learning from Microsoft and Google and, and Amazon, that we can't do any of those things if we don't have a platform that underpins it that allows us to fully take advantage of that stuff. So, um, so Matt, I think that's been a really helpful insight. I think that's been, been really useful. It's been, been great to get your kind of take on you know, not only where the industry sits right now, but where the industry sits in the near and, and maybe slightly more distant future as well. Um, so if people want to find out a little bit more about any of the kind of stuff they've uh, they've done, or maybe they want to kind of haunt you on Twitter with questions, uh, I mean, what's, what's some good good places that people can go and look? Maybe find out a little bit more about NetApp's data fabric, and then maybe a little bit more where maybe they can find out about the, the blog post that we talked about earlier on. Uh, where's some good resources for folk? Yeah, so, um, so I'm, I'm kind of online on everything. So um, at MTJ Watts is my Twitter handle. 
um, and I tweet about all sorts of stuff on there, not just work stuff, but just random musings. Um, and I have what's-innovating.com, which is my kind of personal blog, which, um, although it's NetApp related, I try and post things on there that I think are just kind of interesting observations, things that aren't necessarily specific to NetApp, but just food for thought ideas. Um, so feel free to haunt me on either of those, and uh, you know, I, I tweet back. Yeah, so um, and if, and if people wish to see a picture of you in a kilt, uh, what-innovating.com is indeed the home of that picture. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so well, Matt, well, really appreciate your time. Uh, I know you're a busy guy, um, but but thanks for sharing that with us, and uh, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Dream. Thanks, Matt. That wraps up another episode of Tech Interviews. So uh, if you enjoyed the show, why not pop over to techtwingy.com where you can find show notes as well as all of our other previous Tech Interviews episodes. And if you do enjoy the Tech Interviews, then why not subscribe? You can find us on SoundCloud and iTunes and other good homes of top quality podcasts. Thanks for listening.